So tell me back um, when you first got started again, how you got started. You know, you were given a piece of paper and a pen and said, go sell some mortgage. I mean, did you even know what a mortgage was? I knew what it was. Uh, I didn't have one. (laughs) Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, folks, welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, I'm grateful to have Dave Viveros of Radius Financial Group. Dave is a loan professional serving customers in many, many states. Hey, Dave, how you doing? Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. Well, welcome to the show. It's been a while. I've been trying to get this guy on for a while now. I'm really psyched to have him. Dave, Radius Financial, tell us about it. Well, Radius Financial is a privately owned mortgage banking correspondent lender. Their uh, corporate headquarters is Noel, Massachusetts, where they got their start. Actually, back in the day when they first opened, I think it was actually in Braintree, but um, have been out of Norwell for quite some time. Licensed in New England, down the eastern seaboard, down in Florida. They're licensed in uh, some uh, various other states like um, Texas and Michigan and Colorado and on, uh, working on some others as well. Um, personally, I'm licensed in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New Hampshire, and of course, Florida. And of course, Florida. We've got a lot of people moving to Florida. You doing, you seeing a lot of business happening in Florida? The, it, it, it's really active. Um, the home appreciation that has been taken um, down in South, uh, Southern Florida over the last couple of years is really unbelievable. And a lot of it being cash offers. So um, obviously that doesn't help me out at all when that happens, but um, super strong market. And it's uh, a lot of people just moving here, um, you know, not necessarily buying second homes or investment homes. Of course, there's, there's that going on too. But a lot of people that are just moving from other states because this is, uh, well, Florida is where they want to be. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Where do you think all this cash is coming from? You know, I don't know that in full detail, but I would have to imagine a lot of it is because you have people that are coming from California or New England, New York, New Jersey. And, you know, let's face it, the, the home values in those states are probably some of the highest in the country. So you have them coming down to Florida, especially, you know, going back a couple of years and uh, the Florida real estate values look like a bargain compared to, you know, some of these other states. Um, You know, if you look at the average price of a a downtown Boston condo, um, I don't know the exact dollar, but I I would imagine the average per square foot price is going to be near a thousand dollars a foot. So, um, and it's, it hasn't hit that level. It's gone up quite a bit in the last couple of years, but it's still uh, far less expensive than um, than that pricing in the Boston area. So you've got these folks in Boston who bought at a relatively reasonable rate, uh, have maximized the appreciation, they cash out and they use that money, that win, if you will, that profit to purchase something in Florida. Exactly. You figure someone sells a million dollar condominium in Boston, which is um, not even you know, I'd say maybe an average price these days. And uh, you take that money and you come down to Florida and what you can see, uh, what you can buy for a million dollars is um, pretty, is uh, is quite a bit more than what you can in, uh, get in the Boston, the surrounding area. 
um, you know, some of those more expensive towns around Boston, of course, which is are still very, very expensive compared to uh, prices down in Florida. That's interesting. But, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that these folks aren't, you know, talking with mortgage professionals because it still makes sense to leverage with these wonderful, wonderful financing structures. And you might even get a little bit more of a house or get closer to a location. Have you talked to folks about um, that came in with cash? Because I know it was a, a auction type atmosphere there as well as everywhere else in the country. Have you talked to folks about uh, maybe doing a cash out refinance and putting putting some of that winning back into their savings accounts? Yeah, absolutely. And, and some people are doing that. Um, some people aren't, but some people in order to get their offer accepted, if it's a multiple, multiple offer situation, they'll go in with the cash offer, buy the house, and then uh, take some cash out afterwards. It's called a delayed purchase um, on our end in the mortgage world and, um, and take some of that money back and reimburse themselves. And interest rates are still historically fairly low, even though they've right. gone up a bit in 2022. But um, there are definitely some people that are doing that. That's interesting. That's interesting. And I know they have gone up quite a bit. So it's probably making folks second guess that strategy. But tell me about the condominium structure. So you have a lot of people in Boston you've been working with in the condo world. Are you doing are you seeing a lot of condominium purchases on in Florida? Yeah, there's there's a good mix down here down in Florida. Um, a lot of condos, the the of course, a lot of single families. I I, I think the the greater appreciation in the last couple of years has certainly been in the single family, uh, single family uh, area versus condos. Granted, they've all appreciated quite a bit in the last two years, but the single families have seen huge, huge appreciation um, uh, increase in the last uh, couple of years since COVID. Um, but again, uh, condos, obviously I've, I've lived in Boston for 25 years or so now. And uh, personally, I've lived in a, a bunch of condos over the years myself and do a lot of real estate, uh, well, a lot of business with realtors in and around the city. So, you know, by default, um, a lot of a lot of the, the loans uh, I do are, are condominiums, townhouses, et cetera. Why do you think the single family homes have appreciated more rapidly than the condos? You know, I, I, again, I'm not, I don't have the exact answer, but I think it's because Again, we're seeing more people just moving to Florida. Yeah, you know they're they're leaving whatever state they uh, they were in, and they're they're opting for the single family versus uh, condo living. Yeah, because they're living there. They're not they're not visiting there. They're not renting it out. They're actually moving there. Therefore, the optimal space for them, particularly is a single family home. That's, that's, that's interesting. Let's, let's go back in time for a second, if you will. When did you start into the mortgage business? Well, <laughs> believe it, I was thinking about this because I knew it was going to come up, but I got, I fell into the industry back in um, 1994. Fell, said, let's help, help, help us understand what you mean by you fell into the industry. You didn't go to school for mortgages in college. You didn't go into the into the core curriculum of, of university and uh, and say, I want to be a mortgage finance professional. Yeah, no, as, as we know, I think even to this day, there's no mortgage uh, loan officer uh, majors at uh, most schools. Right. So, no, I, I went to um, 
Stonehill College uh, here in Massachusetts. Yeah. And uh, communication and business degree. Thinking I was going to go into the, the marketing and advertising world. Um, that's what I thought I was going to do. And did um, actually marketing uh, internship, even, uh, let's see, overseas in London, uh, my, my last year of college. And then in a, my last semester um, was a marketing internship at a local bank um, back in the day. They, um, they don't exist any longer. They were uh, purchased by another bank. And then that has since probably been purchased one or two times since. But uh, um, so graduated, got the, um, you know, basic first job out of college, uh, customer service uh, position. And after six months of sitting behind a desk, I said, this is uh, not for me. And then uh, I remembered at that that bank marketing internship that I was always intrigued by what the uh, mortgage department and specifically the loan officers were doing. Um, you know, it was, um, you know, doing, you know, doing math numbers, but it was also, as we know, uh, it's really a sales job at the end of the day. So you're uh, out there talking and meeting new people every day, week, month. And so I thought I'd uh, see if they would uh, take me on under their wings and um, let me learn the mortgage business. And they did. And uh, so I ended up there for about a year or so, but that's, uh, that's where I first got my, my start. So that's interesting. So you started out as a marketing type of folk, uh, person and you happened to land in a bank and that's how you started into mortgages. That was completely it. I was uh, intrigued by what they were doing in the mortgage department. And I said, let's, uh, let's see what it's all about. And fast forward uh, 28 years later, here I am. And those folks probably liked you and said, you know what, this kid will make a good mortgage loan officer. Let's, let's, let's help him out. Let's prop him up. They did. They, uh, they gave me their start and uh, my start, I should say. And uh, here I am. And since then, I been here at radius for 17 years actually wow. just as of months ago um but otherwise um it was that first job and then uh, two others in between but uh obviously the largest chunk of uh my time has been here at radius financial so tell me about those first that first year though so you know whatever local bank it was you know 1995 we're still kind of coming off of a of a recession from the late 80s, right? And the savings and loans all came crumbling down. What was what was day one as a mortgage loan officer like in 1995, 96? Right. So if you go back and look um, at the charts, the, the fixed 30-year fixed rate was probably in the nines, I'd say. Yeah. Um, but what did I know? I, I didn't know if that was good or bad. <laughs> I just knew that uh, I was supposed to go out and meet people and, um, you know, help some, some people buy some homes and uh, go out there and meet some real estate agents and, and so on. So, um, but obviously looking back, that's a very challenging, uh, it was a very challenging time. But isn't that interesting, right? It, like it doesn't really matter because the market will settle in wherever it is, right? So some people at 9.5 were very excited. Really? I get a 9.5 rate because they've seen rates even higher, right? And then you know, the values of the properties balance that out. Really interesting, especially now, you know, here we are sitting here talking about, you know, another shifting market with interest rate pressure. But, you know, what do you know? Same as the first time homebuyer. What do they know? Here's what 
the market rate is. Here's what the market value of the home is. Does it make sense? Exactly. And the real estate investors buy no matter what, right? I mean, if we could take a page out of the book of the real estate investors, it's dollar cost average, right? It's buy when it's high, buy when it's low, buy when it's going up, buy when it's going down, continue to buy and and it'll be great. I mean, homeowners, it's, you know, if you're buying for your home, it simply doesn't matter. Now you've invested in real estate. Tell us about that a little bit and how that's helped you understand your client base a little bit better. Right. Well, I mean, I think even if it's, you know, if you buy one home, um, you know, you're in the same seat as your, your borrower that you're helping and you know what they're going through, uh, the stress, the anxiety of uh, not just getting the loan, but, um, you know, there's the house part of it. And as you know, there's so many parties involved and there's so much more that you have to think about than just getting the loan, um, you know, moving and um, what, what, you know, what are you going to need after you're in the home and um, maintenance and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, over the years, as I mentioned that, you know, personally, primary residences, I, you know, it, lived in a bunch of condos. I've, you know, had single families, but I've also over the years, you know, had second homes. I've had multifamily investment homes uh, in different, in different locations. And, you know, you understand what it's like to be a landlord um, and responsible for tenants. And uh, so you can at least empathize with your borrowers. I think when you have those different experiences, um, and you know what they're thinking and what they might be going through once they, uh, you know, they own that house. Yeah, it's, I think empathy is the key to success for sure. Um, so, so after that, 1995, 96, where did you go from there? So that first mortgage position at that small bank wasn't long lived. They went through a downsizing. I was probably there for about a year. They um, basically removed 95% of the, uh, the sales staff. And um, I went on to my next role at a, um, actually a regional bank that had a mortgage, uh, that had a mortgage uh, company division. And uh, Got a feel for what it was like to do uh, direct lending, but also mortgage brokering, uh, because we we had uh, both, uh, I guess, duality there with brokering and uh, lending directly. That was for a couple of years, and then um, off to the next role, which was a uh, similar to what Radius Financial is, a, a privately owned uh, banker slash broker. Again, this was a um, company based out of Newton. And I was there for about seven years. So that was really the, the second large uh, carving, uh, I guess, of my career. And um, worked worked there for seven years. And again, it was privately owned correspondent lender. And I think um, starting with that company, I realized that correspondent lending or mortgage uh, mortgage bankers really where I thought, you know, where you want to be as a loan officer, but also if I'm a consumer looking for a mortgage, I would, I would opt um, for a mortgage banker, you know, versus let's say a broker or a, uh, a bank or credit union, et cetera. Isn't it funny how the, these things evolve, right? Because back when you were a mortgage broker, if we're going to go back to 95, 96, 97, if you weren't a mortgage broker, you were at a disadvantage because the whole idea around mortgages was come to me and I'll find the perfect 
perfect place for you with all of the different outlets that I have. And then you have a mortgage meltdown and, um, and those folks completely went away, but you kind of identified that early, which is great. What, what was it about correspondent lending that appealed to you? Was it the control of, of the process? That that's definitely part of it. I always, I tell a borrower that it's like the, uh, correspondent mortgage banking, correspondent lending is like the, uh, the perfect marriage, right? It's, it's the direct lending component that, like you mentioned, we have the control um, of making the decisions. We're the ones uh, approving the loan, issuing the commitment, uh, as you know, sending the funds out day of closing to, to the attorney, the title company. Um, of course, having that control in itself is, it, uh, doesn't do the trick. You have to have the right company and team behind you, as we know uh, um, in, in almost any industry. Um, so that is obviously a big part of it, but having, having that kind of control and then the, the marriage of the uh, investor mix and options that you have behind the scenes, right? So we're not just, you know, a, a part of, I should say, a vertical product line. We're not just like walking into the bank and, hey, this is our, our set of programs and our rates. Let's hope they're good. Um, you know, behind the scenes, we have dozens and dozens of investors and programs and options that we can uh, go to. And um, so if, if someone's, if a program's super competitive one day and then the next week they're not, you know, then you know, the next program is, is right there and, and they're, they're competitive. So, um, so I think the, the marriage of the, the control of the process, but having the program options for the, for the borrower are really what, you know, I think is what, you know, makes mortgage banking the best option for a borrower. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense so that you're in control because you have to qualify, you have to present that loan that the group, the final investor will buy versus that final investor deciding and you waiting for them to make that decision. Right, right. So, right. When, so with being a direct lender, you know, that we're making the decisions now, of course, you always have post-closing situations. <laughs> that's another, you know, that's another story, but um, we're, we're not waiting on others to, to make right. any kind of decisions for us. Right. Because you've, you've complied with their guidelines, you know, that they're going to buy it, but you get to make the calls. You're not waiting on a mortgage commitment from somebody who is treating your customer like a number there there it's you you guys are doing it it's really truly quote unquote your money if you will until you then deploy it off to somebody else correct so and we and, and we do some servicing um but as you know in in the, the mortgage lending world there's uh, a lot of times the, the servicing is released to another company um, but um, but we we do we do both. So we service some loans, and then we, of course we sell some loans. Cool. So tell me back um, when you first got started again, how you got started. You know, you were given a piece of paper and a pen and said, "Go sell some mortgage." I mean, did you even know what a mortgage was? I knew what it was. Uh, I didn't have one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh, you know, I learned uh, what it was all about. And um, of course, as you know, this uh, industry is ever changing. So, you know, what, what you know today, you're going to have to know something else in a month or uh, a year. 
uh, as the industry and programs and guidelines are, are changing um, on a continual basis. But um, I learned quickly. I mean, I, I bought a home uh, probably a couple years um, after starting as a, you know, in the mortgage world. And, uh, you know, I think once you do it uh, the first time yourself, you, uh, you, you learn a lot more <laughs> very yeah. quickly. So how did you convince folks to, uh, to put their trust in you? I mean, this is a big, big deal. You know, this young kid, he doesn't even have a mortgage, you know, why am I going to work with him? Right. Well, um, fake it until you make it. Um, so really, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, whether you, you have a mortgage, don't have a mortgage, obviously it's, um, it's knowledge is power, right? So you, you, you gotta know, you gotta know the business, you gotta know programs, you gotta know the process. Um, and then like, uh, most other things, um, I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, I guess, reading and knowing different personality types and how to uh, best uh, relate to that personality type, um, you know, because there's all types of people out there. And um, certainly I want to work with most of them. And really, it's um, know knowing their personality and trying to relate to them um, as best as you can in as many different ways as you can. That's interesting. So that's that's EQ, which I've always thought you had a high level of of EQ. Does that relate to both the consumer and the referral partners? Right. Ab absolutely. So I like anyone else in, in the mortgage business, a lot of business tends to come from real estate agents, right? They're they're in the game and they're helping buyers and sellers every every day of the week. Uh, so they're they got their hands in the mix. So Realtors are typically your your number one source for where where your your referrals, your buyers, sellers are going to come from. Um, so those that you know, uh, as we know, diff different personality types with real estate agents as well. So trying to relate with them um, in any kind of and finding commonalities as far as um, uh, similar interests and and things like that, I think also uh, helps. But I also when I look at like the the makeup of how I receive my business, my referrals, it 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 is a predominant amount of from real estate agents. It's probably about forty percent, but I probably have about forty percent of my my business coming from my previous clients. Um, so it's really important to to know them, to relate to them, and of course, most of the time, you know, we like each other, right? We get along and. In, uh, in in time, you, you're friends with these clients. That's so, really interesting. So so a lot of your business comes from the fact that you have clients that were happy with you and the process and the experience buying the home. Absolutely. I mean, again, for probably about 40% of my, my makeup is uh, helping previous clients again. Um, or helping people that they've referred, my pre my previous clients have referred their coworker, their friend. Um, so <clears throat> it's very important that I I stay in touch with them um, on a consistent basis, whether it's for an annual mortgage review or you know uh, an anniversary, a birthday, um, just a, a check in. Hey, this is what's going on with the market. Just uh, 
just so you know, you know, if, if uh, there's anything I can do, let me know. Yeah. Here but, I uh, am. Yeah, ab absolutely. So I, I try to do that um, as consistently as I can um, so that um, they know I'm there when they, they may not need me all the time, but um, when they do. And when they walk up to the water cooler and they're talking to somebody who, who needs you. Correct. Yes. So, um, yeah, so they're, they're a big part of my business. So um, it's, it's much appreciated. So what do you see in the future? With the industry? You've always been a futurist, right? You've, you saw that correspondent lending was the better way, even though everybody else was saying you have to have a mortgage broker, you have to have multiple options. You saw correspondent lending, you're seeing, you know, an influx into Florida, like where are you seeing the mortgage industry maybe 10 years out? Wow, 10 years out is a tough one. Um, uh, I, I'd like to think that obviously we're going to see uh, higher values, right? I mean, what, what goes up and down goes up again, right? 10 years from now, we're probably going to see homes, home values higher than where we're at now. Yeah. Um, I do think we all know that it's a pretty heated market these last couple of years, um, especially so meaning for sellers, it's been a great seller's market. Uh, rates were so low. Um, you know, the fact that they got down into the twos um, with the, um, uh, the beginning of uh, COVID and uh, the government uh, investing in mortgage bonds for uh, that uh, time frame. So we saw rates in twos and threes and, now that we're seeing them in, in the fives and sixes in a very short time frame, just in 2022, very beginning of the year, we were in the low threes and fast forward, we're about 3% higher than that right now. Um, there's no doubt that's going to take some um, wind out of the sail. Right. Um, and I can't, I don't, I don't think we're going to see a huge reversal and all of a sudden it's a buyer's market. But that uh, a 3% swing in rates, is it's a real impact. Well, it's not only a 3%, it's a doubling effect, right? I mean, it, the rates doubled in effect in a very short period of time. Right. Like in a time, in a, an amount of time that we've really never seen that kind of swing. Right. So, you know, automatically that affects the, the bottom range of the, the market. You know, the, the buyers that were out there, struggling to get an offer accepted and looking at homes in a certain price range, let's say at 500,000 when the rates were in the low mid threes and, you know, now they're a few percent higher than that, you know, they're now looking at homes, you know, probably about a third less in, in price. If they were at their maximum affordability at that range, when the rates were in the threes, they're now out of the market. Right. Now, without, going into the qualification portion of adjustable rate mortgages, are you starting to see those coming into vogue for those that, you know, want to continue to keep their payment down to a reasonable amount, but still want to buy that house that the value hasn't really changed? We're definitely seeing that a little bit already. Um, I wouldn't say it's, uh, you know, majority of people are still going to opt for the fixed rate. Um, but we're seeing, we're definitely seeing a gap. You know, we're, it's a it, it's a noticeable difference um, between some some of these adjustable rates versus where the the fixed rates are uh, sitting these days. So, you know, a 
one to one and a half percent difference in rate is a is is real real money so you know it's it is. It's a big deal. And, you know, what do you, what do you, when you see like a first time home buyer and that question has, uh, you know, how long do you see yourself in the home? Well, we may stay here for a few years and then move, but Dave, we may want to hold on to it depending, you know, and they say, we really want to some payment relief, you know, let's talk about adjustable rates. Like what type of range of years are you 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 know sharing with them that makes sense so the options that we have are it's typically going to be a five a seven ten and actually we even have a, a portfolio outlet that has a it's a 15 year adjustable so oh, cool yeah pretty unique and the, these are all so adjustable rate mortgages are, are typically going to be based over a 30 year period uh like a 30 year fixed rate would be and then you have that initial period, you know, you see these programs, they, you know, a five slash six or a five slash one, uh, seven slash one, et cetera. Um, that's that initial number is that the fixed period that you're now going to get this lower rate for. So we got rates in the sixes on a fixed rate in let's say a five years, somewhere in the mid fours, um, that rate will be fixed for that first, that first five years or the first seven years, and then it will become adjustable after that. And how adjustable are they when when somebody goes into that and they get to a cycle, you know, five, seven years, that's a long period of time. That gives a lot of room for more upward pressure on the interest rates, but also a, a cooling off where they might come back to reality in a five, seven years. Say that the market does continue to press upward in a, in a challenging way for borrowers and they come up on their change term. What does that change look like the change in rate after that five year or that seven year period of time has elapsed right so th these programs have uh what, what they call um margins um and caps so these programs just can't spiral out of control so you know they, they're going to have caps they they can vary program to program they're the way they the future rates are are calculated it's going to go by an index of some sort um, and then it's going to be a, a fixed known margin that you're going to know that number like in your documents when you close and then fast forward whether you're doing a five seven year adjustable etc um, it's going to calculate based on that index and margin at that time but there's going to be again caps in place and, and those will vary program to program um, a lot of times you'll see like a, a two two percent per adjustment cap but a lifetime cap of five or six percent so you know you're starting off uh at a rate of let's say four percent you're not going to you know wake up five years from now and your, your rate's at uh, 22 percent right right you know, and it's all market driven based on what the the uh margin is and what the current current um indexes at the time so wherever that is you might not go to the maximum cap you may you could adjust downward right yeah we i mean we've seen that happen many times um over the over the years where your your, your time is up your adjustment happens and you get your statement and your rate went down so uh, it can go both ways but those caps are there um you know as a uh protection of some sort so that things just don't get out of control and what people don't realize um 
whether fixed or adjustable um, is for you, but I, th I think with the rate increase, we're going to see more people consider the adjustable rate. And it's also, you know, if you if you look at what how long the average mortgage actually exists, it it's not thirty years, right? It's probably six or seven, and it's you know for one reason or the other they they're stepping up to the next home, uh, and they're upsizing or they're downsizing or they're refinancing because the rates went down or they need cash out to renovate their home. So um, even though you think you're going to have that mortgage for a long, long, long time, in reality, what happens is, you know, it's, it's either getting um, closed out or refinanced for one reason or another. That's interesting. So there's an option if, if there's too much upward pressure. Are you seeing people start to ask more questions about paying points to buy down the rates? Absolutely. Um, and I haven't, really seen this in in years and points are always an option right so you uh, uh, you pay a point uh, typically to get a lower interest rate for that one time upfront extra fee and a point equals a, a point is a one percent of your loan amount so if you take out a five hundred thousand dollar loan you pay in a point it's going to be an extra five thousand dollars in addition to the normal closing costs um, but we're seeing more of that because we're seeing that uh, investors and programs, they're offering incentives to, to pay a little bit extra to get an even better rate or a larger spread from where that zero point rate is. The old school formula that you would typically see is you get this rate for zero points and just you pay, you pay your basic closing, co uh, closing costs. And then you pay one point and you're going to get a quarter point lower, quarter percent lower. You pay two points, it's going to be another quarter percent lower. Well, that, that, uh, formula is really it doesn't really exist right that the, the pricing is all over the place um, but they are the investors are making it a little bit more attractive to maybe consider you know paying a little bit more uh, uh, extra upfront in points and getting a much lower rate and that's interesting because what you can also do is coordinate with the real estate professionals to increase that purchase price and net it out into the into the points and have in essence, the seller pay your points by way of a seller concession. Right. I mean, as we know, we, we don't see a lot of uh, seller concessions in this market. Um, you know, the, again, because the, sell, the seller's market, the seller has the, the upper hand, they're, they're making the decisions and in, in whether or not they want to do that. But um, if there's room in that, that value in that sales price and the, um, seller wants to give a closing cost credit for closing costs or points or even the prepaid uh, property taxes and home insurance, they, uh, they're able to do that. And uh, that's, you know, direct savings that that buyer gets. Right? Right. right. You're not asking them to lead with that in their offer. Hey, seller, we want a concession, but, you know, get to a place that everybody agrees that net, net, that's where we want to be. You can then lawfully within the full disclosure of the lender increase that purchase price to then use that extra amount subject to appraisal to pay down your rate, right? Correct. Yeah, most most programs uh, will have a uh, up to a three percent uh, concession limit. Cool. So coming back to young Dave, who starts in the business and interest rates are nine point five, but what's he know? It's the same thing. I mean, it's all relative to the marketplace right everything will eventually settle in and you know shifting markets kind of make people nervous but at the 
end of the day, there's always options if you're working with a, a mortgage professional like yourself to have these conversations, to dig in a little bit deeper and to be consultive, not simply press the, the easy button. Let me ask you this, Dave, if, if someone were to have worked with you and had a wonderful experience and they purchased their home and they're sitting down on the Google machine or in Facebook and they want to write a review, what does that review sound like? Well, what I typically see is um, that they're thankful at how smooth the process was because we all hear nightmare stories, right? If it yeah. was a friend or a relative that um, uh, had a horrific experience, they uh, didn't get their approval in time, they didn't close on time. Um, so it's usually, um, and again, it's not about me, right? A lot of times these reviews um, I'm sure they'll mention me, but th they're mentioning my team um, as much, if not sometimes more than me, right? My, my team captain, my team members, uh, my processor, uh, closing uh, coordinators. They're thanking, um, they're thanking really all of us usually and for smooth, efficient uh, process, uh, a competitive rate program. And um, I like to call it, I guess, mortgage white glove service, right? So we're there for the process and the transaction through closing, but I'm, I'm not going to forget about you after that, whether you like it or not. Um, you know, we're going to stay in touch, you know, and see, you know, how, how's the house a couple months later. And again, a year, like, let's have a mortgage anniversary checkup, um, see, you know, where you're at and where things are at. And so um, it, it's really the the first step of the process, right? The, the, the mortgage uh, process closing on the home. Um, but for me, it doesn't end there. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to stay in touch and um, make sure that they're in, in the best mortgage situation ongoing. So you're their mortgage debt manager for life. Yeah. So maybe, uh, yeah, maybe even a mortgage coach, mortgage coach for life. Mortgage uh, coach, right? Because I mean, it's part of the overall financial plan, right? If you're doing it effectively and you've got a financial advisor who's working through, you know, the retirement accounts and the qualified accounts and all that. I mean, this real estate is usually a big part of the overall package and proper use of debt is is absolutely necessary. I do work with a lot of, you know, financial advisors, estate planners um, on an ongoing basis, because if they're doing what they, they should do is um, certainly be looking at what's usually someone's largest asset is their home. So uh, financial advisors are uh, great people to, uh, to uh, connect with and, and pair up uh, with as well. And make sure that the person is taken care of. I love that. So podcast. You know, you had to kind of stick your neck out a little bit and get outside your comfort zone. One of the things we love about the comfort zone is karaoke, right? <laughs> Folks who's going to come together, we're going to bring everybody together in a networking event, because one of the things we love about our podcast is that the catalog has amazing people in it, and hopefully they, they network with one another also. But hopefully when we do a nice in-person networking event, once we get to a a big, strong number of, of episodes on tap will be karaoke. So Dave Averos of Radius Financial, you're next on the stage. What are you singing, my friend? 
well, a fun fact is that I have only done karaoke once in my life. Wow. Um, <laughs> and uh, that song happened to be uh, The Devil Went Down to Georgia. By, nice. uh, yeah, so... So uh, that was my one and only time. Um, but uh, otherwise than that, I got to say uh, my my favorite band uh, of all time uh, are the, the Foo Fighters. So um, even though I, I, I won't do, do them justice, uh, I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a song out of their uh, their catalog. Which one? You know, you got to go with the, the, the best song. I mean, and that's uh, that's Everlong. Everlong, the nice acoustic version or the rockin' version? Uh, you know, both are great, but. I'm going to say the rock, the rock. Version. Well, I love it. I love it. Where were you when you did devil went down to Georgia? You know, I was out, um, at a weekend in, um, at Tanglewood oh. and, uh, for, for a concert. And it was an after, um, an after a concert or post concert, uh, venue. And, uh, they had karaoke night going and, um, they, uh, the people I worth somehow convinced me to get up there. I love that they convinced you to do it. So now you're, uh, you, you've done it and you can do it again. And we'll hear Dave Grohl, Dave Averis do Dave Grohl. Did you read his book, by the way? Uh, I'm reading it. I actually have it uh, on my, my uh, table right, right now. He's a really good writer. I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed that, that book a lot. I actually listened to it. I'm not a huge reader. I'm more of a consumer through audio, which is why I love podcasting so much. Dave, the most important question of them all, somebody hears this and they want to work with you, whether they're a real estate professional, financial advisor, or a direct consumer, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, well, I would say best is phone. I like doing phone calls. I mean, email is great. Texting is great, but um, I'm maybe old school because I've been doing this for a while and I always uh, prefer the phone. So my direct line is 508 930 2172 and uh email if uh that is always best uh, or if that is best for someone it's uh, d as in my first name david my last name which i'm going to spell out because it is a little tricky v's and victor i v's and victor e-i-r-o-s at radiusgrp.com radius group i love it but he loves the phone folks he's been doing this for a while and i think that phone number's been around for a while as long as i've known you it's been the same phone number Dave, thanks for joining. I really appreciate you sharing your stories and sharing your wisdom. And I know for sure the listeners are going to appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day, bud. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. Today's episode is sponsored by Title. Secure Title helps Massachusetts real estate attorneys, real estate agents, loan professionals, buyers, and sellers with all of their title, settlement, and escrow needs. Secure Title, S-E-C-U-R-I-T-I-T-L-E.com, where security and title come together. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. 
The views expressed by podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.